Welcome back to Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casazza. I am here by myself today. This time of year, you have basketball in the afternoon, beautiful flowers and golf in Augusta, one shining moment on a Monday night, and Chris Anderson on vacation. You can set your watch to these things. But that must mean that we're close to the Big 12 tournament. Indeed, West Virginia begins, man, probably not soon enough if you are one of the Mountaineers or one of the many people who root for the Mountaineers. Bad news down to the number four seed. Good news, don't have to wait too much longer. 11.30 on Thursday morning, open up against a familiar Oklahoma State team. I think we'll dive into a lot of that stuff as we get into the subscriber questions and my answers. And what I'm going to try to do today is rattle off as many of the questions as I can. We're too busy on the website. Too much content. Too crowded. Unlikely to get to a written form of the mailbag. That's Chris's forte. I doubt he'll be turning one of those in from the mountains. And then I've got my hands full with basketball, some spring football. Baseball's coming back, maybe? Got a lot going on. Again, Pretty cool time of the year, always fun. Weather's changing, the snow is disappearing, the temperatures are rising, campus is starting to percolate a little bit, and you've got high-level basketball all over your television, Paramount Plus if you're so inclined, spring football at some point in the future here. Again, if you look around, if you're a college sports fan, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool time for you, don't have to tell you that, and I sense excitement on the message board, um, so we'll get into this. We'll start popping off questions. I'll start popping off with my answers. Before we go, welcome to all of the new VIP subscribers. Uh, I'm not allowed to say the number, but it's a significant number of new people who subscribed and joined the site. End of February, beginning of March, Paramount Plus was the big hook, but again, all those things that are going on in college sports. I think some of the additions that we're doing with the site will attract people, maybe keep the people who just subscribe, but I think that the excitement over WVU sports, basketball and football in particular, and the specter of baseball if and when they do get back on the diamond is there. And this is kind of one of the things we do. Once a week, mailbag. Get on that VIP site. Look for the post on. It depends what day we do it, Sunday or Monday. Ask your questions. We try to answer them. If not in a podcast of Chris and I, then certainly Chris comes back, sweeps up the mess that I make when I talk way too much when it's he and I doing a podcast, and he answers some of them in written form. But again, just me today, so I will not burden you too long with an intro. We're going to talk plenty about the NCAA tournament prospects that come out of the Big 12 tournament reality this week for West Virginia. Uh, Will Aldrich will be here with me. We'll do a preview podcast for Wednesday morning. So without further delay, let's jump into this here. First question comes from Crowtown Ear. Since Chris is in the mountains, rank your top vacation spots. Well, I probably should have followed up with another question. Do you mean like geographically or specifically? Geographically, I'm a beach guy. I like the beach because I don't have to do a whole lot. Vacation, just drop what I'm doing and hang out for a week. However, kind of a, a, a endeavorous traveler. I like going someplace I've never been and seeing as much as I can. That could be some domestic city. It could be some international city. It could be South America. It could be Europe. It could be the Midwest. Um, favorite spots? I really like coastal Georgia. Different spots there that I've been to a few times um, that I just kind of feel comfortable in. Not very commercial, very unaffected. I wouldn't say small town, but like not your big 
overcrowded, overwrought uh, beach destinations that you frequently find up and down the East Coast. I'm not going to tell you which my favorite ones are because I don't want to see you there. No offense, I'm sure you're a nice person, but I don't like the crowds. However, I can't really do a ranking. I don't like going to the same place twice. World is way too big. My passport has way too many pages. Um, I, I Like I said, I feel comfortable in some spots, but man, if I'm going to shell out for the time and the money to go somewhere, it's it's not... I don't know, probably the right way to live, I guess, because you like to go where you want to be happy and comfortable and look forward to. But I kind of like going somewhere new all the time. So hard for me to give you a ranking because I probably haven't been to so many places so many times that I could compare my frequency and my familiarity and how happy those places make me. But um, geographically, beaches, cities, get out and explore and do some stuff. Those are very different things. I understand that one's relaxing and one's kind of being out and on your feet and moving around. Um, I just don't like to work. How's that? Anytime I can get somewhere and go do something for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, that's good with me. Next question, Yidio. If you were able to add one player to the basketball team for the 21-22 season, what kind of player are you targeting? I have no need to take any time to answer this. I want your 6'9", 6'10", get off the floor shot blocker. Someone who's going to you know block 2.2 shots per game or whatever. But he's going to make you think about six, eight, ten more. Um, he's going to stand around the rim, but he's going to mentally guard you 16 feet away because you're not going to get close and get a very good shot. You need that Sagabah Kanate guy. Um, maybe not somebody as elite as that, but if you just look at what this team does and doesn't do on the perimeter and how they do and do not guard the post, man, if you had somebody who could just turn people away and wag his finger at him, you're, you're talking difference in not only scores and feelings after games, but you're talking difference in outcomes, you're talking difference in regular season standings, you're talking difference in the NCAA tournament seating. If you had a guy who blocked shots who was a factor back there, um, major, major difference on this team. Easy question for me to answer. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but I, I don't see the need for another three-point shooter. I think you can make an argument that if you had like a floor general, and again, I'm thinking back to uh, Mooney from Texas Tech a couple years ago, somebody who came in, grad transfer, just a hard-nosed guy that beat you up in the backcourt. He took West Virginia's young guards to school a couple times because he was an older guy who knew how to play, and he knew the position, and he could make shots. He was just tough. Um, that would be interesting. I wouldn't mind it. I would feel a whole lot better about my prospects, especially when you look at who they had coming back if they had a shot blocker. Next question, Leighton. Was Chris pushing Paramount Plus so hard that he could purchase a vacation home in the mountains? Yes. If Hugs finishes this season with 899 career wins, how should WVU fans feel? Listen, they're not going to have a countdown clock from the end of the season to the first game of the season anticipating his 900th win. We did that last week, and you figured it could happen, it might happen, whatever. But it didn't. They had two shots, or one shot to do it. I guess two if you counted the, t- the two games they lost. But, um, you know, they could have beaten Baylor and gotten 900 against TCU. Didn't. Beat TCU, could have gotten 900 against Oklahoma State. Didn't. If they don't win another game this year, disappointed, deflated, discouraged would be the word. Um, because this team, this is what you worry about with West Virginia this year. Everything was going really good. And their downs were not very low or for very long. And they got up quickly. 
but that down was always kind of around the corner, whether within a game or on the schedule or something like that. And it's not all their fault. The schedule and the circumstances and the pandemic and the quarantine and the postponements and the cancellation, everything made it hard this year. And you were constantly looking over your shoulder. Um, are we going to play? Are we going to be allowed to get in the plane? Are our tests going to be positive or negative? Are is our defense going to be so bad that our offense isn't going to do it? You can just imagine the players thinking and asking themselves these things constantly this season. And again, th- that that low was always around the corner. Their performance, the environment, just college basketball in 2020-21, not their fault. Not all their fault, at least. But you kind of felt like something bad could happen. To the point that when Huggins started just kind of skewering his team for, you know, we talk too much in the huddle. we got too many coaches. Um you know, we don't try hard. We don't get mad when people blow by us. We're the worst defensive team. When he says those things about his squad, you're like, all right, we've seen this before. And the team typically has a losing streak or falls apart. You've been down that road with these teams and this coach, and you say, here we go again. Never really happened this year. But you kind of felt like it was looming. So if it does happen, if this team loses on Thursday and then it's out in the first round of the tournament, uh, the season's not successful it's not because of who the team lost and who got injured and all that. It's because I would imagine that the long season took a toll. The end of the season, the four games in nine days was a big bite that they could not properly chew, swallow, digest. And that, you know, a long, a long season got the better. I mean, you saw some of this with football. You're maybe seeing it with basketball, but again, they may win two, three, four, five more times now. Who knows? We'll see. But to answer your question, disappointed, discouraged, deflated. Next one, Chestnuts. Thoughts on the wrestling team in the Big 12 tournament and going forward into the NCAA tournament. Listen, one qualifier last year who happened to be one of the best wrestlers in the country, Noah Adams, undefeated, national champ. They get three qualifiers this year. It looks like they might get a fourth. Um, Sullivan was a good wrestler for them who got injured, I believe a, a groin injury, and had to forfeit a match. But it's possible he gets in um, as a qualifier. But they have automatics, three of them. And they have a qualifier, possibly. So that's four. So that's good. Um, Couldn't fill out two of their spots for the Big 12 tournament. So naturally, you know, they're not going to be a top-tier team in the Big 12. They couldn't even get into that middle pack because they're missing wrestlers. That's unfortunate for them. But they have three, maybe four. I think that's good. That's a good sign. And and I'll point in a couple things why I think it's good. Noah Adams hasn't been himself. uh, Three losses, but all to the same guy. And I think if you watch him grapple and scrap... I don't know, he doesn't shoot, go for it, attack very much. You don't see a lot of points and a lot of offense with him, and, and that's that's not like who he was last year. He ran through guys and ran over guys last year. Um, maybe it's a different thing for him. Maybe he's trying something different. Maybe he's just a different wrestler. Uh, when you're as good as he was, is, guys are going to come at you, and you maybe have to wrestle things a little bit differently. Maybe some more people can tell me about that. I'm a novice at this, but I would think that if you are the guy and you're targeted in your weight class or – on the West Virginia team, you happen to draw him, you want to go get him. You want to make a name. And for him, you probably have to wrestle differently. You will probably got to be a little bit more instinctive reactive instead of instinctive proactive. And maybe that's a little bit different for him. But that's good news, I think. Um, another one that's probably worth watching is um, Killian Cardinal. He qualifies. That's a transfer. And again, we're, we're infatuated with transfers in any sport. And wrestling is, is different than basketball and football, but there just aren't a ton of programs and certainly elite programs. So maybe guys who are good on a less than team or a team that doesn't even exist anymore, as was the case with Cardinal at Old Dominion, 
you want to go somewhere, um, it might be hard for you to get into an elite program. So if you're that next cut or even the next next cut and you can succeed and get guys in because you're coaching and your development, that's a good sign if you're trying to build a program. It's nice to be young and to recruit really good wrestlers. If you can plug a guy in who can get to the NCAAs for you, you're going to have a good season, have a good team. So getting the guy who transferred was good too. I think that's helpful. Um, I don't know. Three is better than one. Four is better than one too. Um, that's that's not a bad thing for me, I don't think. I think it's a good way to look at uh, how things work in there. Um, I think Flynn's on the right track, recruiting well. Young guys are going to get better. And as I talk to people, I don't think anybody was disappointed about how some young people and some of the freshmen performed. Probably did eh, a little better, a little worse, just about as you expected. Didn't see anything surprising there, but that's a hard sport to surprise in. Um, the thing that just kind of baffles me a little bit is Adam's three losses, all to the same guy. Um, so that might just be a fluke thing. Maybe he's just got a guy who's got his number. Maybe he has a really good counter to Adams' attack. Maybe he keeps Adams on his heels a little bit, and Adams can't wrestle the way he wants to. Uh, perhaps those two see each other again when it really matters. We'll find out. Next one. Oh, I lost my questions. All right, sorry about that. Next one here. Uh, WV alum 07 with the potential for zero, one, two, or three wins this week. That's in Kansas City, Big 12 tournament. What do you see WVU seeding for each of these scenarios? If they don't win, they're going to be a four seed, and be careful there. But I would say be a four seed. I don't see them following a five, but, man, you hate the 5-12. I would think that they're probably a four seed if they don't win. Um, a lot of the momentum they have and a lot of the, the good things for them you would lose. So I can't see them losing back-to-back games and staying on the three line. Maybe I'm wrong. If they win one, easy three. If they win two or three, easy two. I don't think it's that difficult there, but um, the only drama is if they win one, can they get to a two? Oklahoma State's good. I'm not sure they're quite that good, and I'm not sure they're going to get the help they need above and around them to pull them up from a three to a two. Right now, steady three. Good thing we're, we're not sure about two, three. It does seem like, barring an offer, they're going to be a two or three, and that's essentially the same. It's just what color uniform you wear uh, if you get into the Sweet 16 and what team you play there. So a little better opponent if you're a two. Um well, I should say a little bit more favorable opponent. If you're a two, you're playing, you know, that's 7-10 in the second game. If you're a three, you're playing, obviously, not the 7-10, 6 or 11. So, potentially, situation like that's a little bit different for you. Um, wait a minute, do I have that right? Can't do math. Anyways, if you're a two, your opponent in the, the first and second games are a little bit more favorable for you than if you're a three. I don't think West Virginia is measuring their success on who they play and how they perform on Thursday, Saturday, Friday, Sunday in the tournament on that first week. And I think they're more concerned and more realistic about what they do. Sweet 16, Elite 8, and the only difference there really is, you know, a slightly better opponent maybe. Um, I don't know what color jersey you wear, what side of the bench you're on, your bench is on. It, it doesn't really matter. Two and three is about the same. One and four is different. So, again, win a game, stay off that four line or any threat of that. Don't have to worry about it. Bitcruncher, do you see either of the seniors taking the extra year offer by the NCAA due to COVID and coming back for an extra season? Having Taz, Gabe, or both back another season would be very beneficial. Um, curious. I, I thought maybe we'd have something more declarative before the final game because they thought about this for so long. However, both walked on senior day. That means that they are not 100% coming back. If they were 100% coming back, if Osa Boyan or Sherman had said, Coach, I want to be back next year. One, Bob Huggins would have said, awesome, let's do it, let's tell the world. And they wouldn't have walked on senior day. In fact, there probably would have been some proclamation. Someone might have gotten a microphone, or someone might have got on social media and said, hey, I'm coming back. One or both of them. That means they're not there yet. I don't know 
if that's perpetual. I don't know if that's a decision they made. I don't know if their feet are in the wet cement. We'll see. Sherman sounded after the game like he might be back. He's thinking about it. He has a whole lot to gain. I don't know. I have not. This is the one thing. I don't have a feel for either of these guys or the team, for that matter, which I'll explain on another question here in a minute, because I'm not around them. Zoom is very difficult. You get very generic answers. No one's getting anything prying or probing in with the players because you don't have that one-on-one time. You can't talk to them in a the corner. Don't really get to know anything about anybody. Osaboyan's a different one for me. What he does is hard. It's not fun. You don't get great enjoyment, I think, out of what he's doing. I'm sure he loves to win. He seems like he's wired that way. But um, a guy did prep school for a year, transferred. He's kind of been this type of player for four years already. Does he want to sign up for a fifth year of this? I'm not saying he won't, but I think that's what's different than Sherman. Sherman's situation is I can come back, I can score a lot of points, I can be one of the top guards in the Big 12. Got a chance to make some money. I got a chance to make European money and American money is, is the difference here. What can I do? We'll see. So he comes back and he does that. Osa Boyum, it's hard to do what he does for another year. You know, not great rewards on the floor apart from winning. Um and I don't think he's looking at making a lot of money in, in the pros. So I could see him packing his bags and saying, hey, it was, it was fun. I left it all on the floor. Literally left it all on the floor. Um, pieces of me are all over that hardwood because of the charges I took and the times I drove for the ball. But done my time. I'm moving on. Um, we'll see. Uh, I, I think you'll see one back. Both. Don't know. I could see reasons and explanations going for both of them coming back. I could see the same thing from not the one of them coming back. I would, I would expect to see one for sure, though. Next question. Um, Hamilton, 220. What would be more valuable for the program, winning the Big 12 Tournament Championship and a round of 32 NCAA loss or lose to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 Tournament but make the Elite Eight and lose? I love these hypotheticals. They're, they're kind of silly, but they're kind of fun to, to answer here. So I'm not, I'm not making fun of your question. I think this is kind of cool. I think there's a lot of staying power winning the Big 12 Championship. Um, and I'm not sure you can win the Big 12 and lose in the second round. But whatever, that's your question. I think the, the answer here is I'm not going to duck it. Winning the Big 12 is a bigger one than making the Elite Eight. If you had said lose to Oklahoma State and make the Final Four, well, that's cool. Um, and if you had said lose to Oklahoma State and make the Sweet 16, I wouldn't have even thought about it. Elite Eight, I like where he went there. You made it not one, not the other, right in between. But I think you would remember for more years down the road that the team won the Big 12 Tournament Championship. And then you probably remember, oh, my gosh, they bombed out in the second round. They lost to, you know, whatever MVC team or something like that, but you kind of have that Big 12 tournament championship there. I think that'd be special for longer than an Elite Eight appearance. Ebrag, having watched the basketball team play this year, the team for the most part seems to be very athletic and capable on the offensive end. Why does this not seem to translate to defense? Has the team ever seen a ball screen before they are running games? Are you surprised Huggins has not lost his mind or some of the defensive mishap this year? You, you presume that Huggins has not lost his mind. I do not. I'm pretty sure that his mind rattled out of his head some time ago with, the, with this ball screen defense. Because remember, they were very good at it last year. They did something different. Um, and they would think they would get better because Oscar Sheedway was not a great ball screen, high post defender. He had trouble with it. He got caught out of guard, off guard a lot on that last year. So they did some things to disguise it, did some things that made it better. And they were really good at it. Teams had a hard time with it. Um, they were unique. Basically, they just they widened out to take away the dribbler's strong hand, which meant he wasn't going to get downhill. He was going to have to go left to right before he can go straight. It just doesn't work this year. I have no idea why. You could be as athletic as you want if you're weak mentally. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm not saying they're weak mentally, but how many times have you heard? Maybe I am. Um, that's a strong a strong statement there, but I, I'm, I'm contradicting myself here. I'm not saying they're weak mentally, but 
Bob Huggins has said that this team doesn't get mad when the team scores, when a team drives on you, when a team gets layup after layup after layup. That's a mental constitution there too. Um, you've got to want to keep the guy out of the paint. You've got to want to back up, square your shoulders, stay parallel with the guy and not let him move. If you're perpendicular with your guy or if he's perpendicular with you, you're toast. That's not a way to guard. you got to keep yourself there. Is it easier to do that if you're athletic? Sure. Trouble is all 10 guys on the floor and all 26 guys who have scholarships they're athletic. They are. They're the best players in their high school team, um, but very few of them were their best defenders in their high school team because they didn't guard anybody, right? This is what Huggins says, too. Your best scorer, your 25 points per game on the state semifinalist team, you don't want him getting fouls and being out of the game, so you can kind of have him guard, guard just a guy, and freshmen aren't very good defensively. Um, West Virginia has some younger players that maybe were in the similar situation, has some junior college players where defense is not really taught. Um, it's more of a track meet than a grinder. So maybe this is kind of still new for these players. I, I just have a hard time buying that because you're 26 games into this season for many of these players, with the exception of maybe Kedrian Johnson or Senny Enjai, you know, the newcomer newcomers, that you're two, three seasons into this right now, too. And if you look at some of the combinations, again, go to evanmedia.com, play around with the player combinations and the lineups, and you'll see veterans in their best defensive, excuse me, their worst defensive combinations, whether it's teammates or five-player lineups. That's kind of hard to explain. Um, athletic, sure. More athletic than other players, no. And again, the fact that they don't have a guy who can jump up and block shots at the rim, that has something to do with athleticism, I think. But how long have they been talking about straight line drives and ball screens and getting downhill? All season, all last season, all last three seasons, maybe you'd say, and haven't figured it out. It takes some pride in the defense there, and remember that it's not good the guy gets by you because you don't have help. Um, be smart. Find a way. Make it work. Figure it out. Um, I would say that athleticism is great, but you got to have, a, like I said, a mental constitution to, to conquer that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, Dr. J. Mitch, has your March ceiling been lowered by the past week? Two games in three days come tournament time isn't as long as last week. I can't shake the feeling that injuries and, quote, being banged up are taking a larger toll on the team as a whole, specifically with McBride's clear ailment and that putting stressors, parentheses, matchup or physiologically, that will limit production offensively. Um, Yeah, listen, if they had beaten Baylor and lost to Oklahoma State or – that would significantly change my opinion. Um, I expected them to win three of those four games. I kind of thought that without Cunningham and Likely and playing w with everything at stake Saturday, um, that you would see a better version of West Virginia. I don't think you saw a terrible version. You just didn't see a winning version. And 
if they had lost that game with Cunningham and or likely on the floor, you wouldn't feel so bad. I think the reason you feel so bad about that is because they had a clear way to go with so much to accomplish and not as much resistance in the form of personnel for Oklahoma State. So that's that's a bummer. It is. That's the only way to put it. Um, so, yeah, I think that that can make you wonder about them. I, I, I have a hard time buying what happened as some sort of will travel problem. What I mean is it was just such a strange game that you kind of, I don't want to say a wastebasket it, but when the team is down like Oklahoma State was and doesn't have the star power and the firepower that it does, um, and when you have so much in the line to play for, your coach is not here to win, senior day maybe for two guys, um, a two-seed in the tournament, and you come out kind of flat, I just don't see that from West Virginia regularly. I don't see that game happening nine times out of ten or maybe even five or six times out of ten. I think they're better than that. Um, but it happened. It counts. It matters. And if you can't stimulate yourself to be ready to to rise to and meet and exceed the challenge, oof, boy, what's – What's the guarantee and what's the given that it's going to happen to you positively and not negatively in Kansas City or in Indianapolis? So I thought personally that they were beyond those things. I thought you might see a team that didn't make shots but could still score and could still get the ball in the basket. I, I thought you might see a team that didn't guard but could make 12 threes. You know, I thought they had ways, especially offensively, around some of their shortcomings. There's really no way around flat tires, and they had four of them on Saturday, maybe five if you want to stick with the numbers in basketball, right? But that was curious, and I don't know why it happened. So that that worries me a little bit because the other team at this time of year is more likely to have it. And if you don't have whatever it is, you're at a disadvantage. Now, maybe West Virginia can make up some of that stuff because of its offensive talent, some firepower, some explosion. But what you just mentioned, too, you know, McBride's not right, obviously. His lower body injury isn't there. Um, You could look at guys like Matthews and McCabe and Culver, senior figureheads on this team. They're not seniors, but like senior in the sense that they're older than everybody else. They've been around. I'm using that more as an adjective than a noun. Are they grabbing the the, the wheel here and steering this thing? Unlikely. Um, you know, you don't have McCabe and Matthews on the floor for almost the entire second half in a game. Culver's come unplugged really since, you know, in this final week, that's back. Can he get right? We'll see. But those are those are curious signs for me, and I wonder if they can – if they have the health and if they have the wherewithal in the moment to to identify trouble and find a way around it, if they're, if they're flat, if they, if they have flat tires, I wonder if they can keep rolling like they have. Next question. J-M-U-L-1989. I like this question here. After watching this basketball team's lack of defense slash toughness, along with the release of the sequel to Coming to America this weekend... I was thinking of toughness in sporting events. I then thought of the malice of the palace and was wondering which WVU team under Huggins would you want on your side if malice at the palace too were to recur. So if there was a brawl, this is what the question is. If there was a brawl that the two teams got into it, you know, provocateurs on each side stirred something up and then started winging the ball at each other and throwing elbows. And then all of a sudden bench is clear. Teams are fighting. It spills into the stands. What Huggins team would you want? That's a good one. So think in your head here. You're probably going, all right, um, big team, bad team, successful team, you know, who? And maybe one team that comes to your head would be like the 2010 Final Four team. Butler, tough guy. Cam Thurman, putting guys on their back. Missoula, Kevin Jones, Devin Kneebanks. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, 
you can come back to maybe even recent years, try to find a team. Uh, you know, we saw Iowa State and West Virginia nearly brawl when Terry Henderson and Doug Hogue were kicking each other. Aaron Harris ejected for a flagrant foul. Hmm. That'd be interesting, right? So you can come up with different ideas. However, the right answer here, the right answer, 2016. First of all, what are you going to do when Elijah Macon, Devin Williams, and Brandon Watkins come on the floor? You're going to run. Like, like if you're the provocateur on the other team and you started, like, poking Issa Ahmad and you slapped the ball out of his hands and you shoved him with two hands in the chest and all of a sudden Issa Ahmad, he's had enough. The freshman's just come unglued and he, he pulls back and he, he goozles you. Hand in your face, knocks you over. Now you get up and you're mad and you're whipping your shirt off and uh, you're, you're, you're going after him. Guys are holding you back. And, uh-oh, now you're playing the feud. Here comes the bench. 6'9", 225, Brandon Watkins. 6'9", 255, Devin Williams. 6'9", 240, Elijah Macon. They're firemen. They're putting that fire out. <laughs> Whatever you got burned inside of you because you want to go to East Mod. Nope. Nope. I think that ends pretty quickly. And then, hey, if that's not enough, maybe maybe you got three big guys, right? Maybe maybe you're so big that, you know, you can goozle Issa Ahmad and back and you guys can start this fight or whatever. The three big dudes on the bench come over and get you. But, hey, I got backup. I got 6'9", 260. I got 6'8", 250. And, yeah, 6'7", 215, but that's going to happen against West Virginia. You're going to be outsized, but you got to go. You got to go. You got to get your guys against theirs. Well, the, guess what? Here comes John Holton. Here comes Nate Adrian. Here comes Logan Rout. 6'7", 220. 6'9", 235. 6'11", 250. Later. All right, but now all the big guys. Now, you know what? Maybe maybe you got some managers and a couple of the fans on your side. They, they played back in the day. They come over. They spilled onto the floor. It's the malice in the palace, right? So everybody's on the floor. Fans on the floor. Players are in the stands. It's chaos. So you got a couple big guys. Maybe they played or they're, they're, they're related. They're kin to some of your big guys in your team. And now you somehow managed to level out the six big dudes on West Virginia's roster. It's somehow even. Uh-oh. Here comes Tavon Myers. Here comes Dax Miles. Here comes Jay Sean Page. Here comes Tariq Phillip. Javon Carter. No. <laughs> it's over. You're, you're swinging chairs, whatever. No. No. They're, they're taking you down. They're putting you in leg bars, calf crushers. One of them knows like Muay Thai. One of them knows Jiu-Jitsu. You don't even know. It's just a mess. They're skilled. They're technical. 2016 team runs you out the floor. Next question. Christian Chuck, 96. What would be the biggest storyline coming out of the spring game? Um, I'm going to say that I'm going to narrow this down to one because this is going to be something we talk about more and more as spring gets closer. But I think that relative strengths in the trenches – I think you're going to find a way. And, and maybe in the spring game, don't know what it's going to look like or how you'll get there, but there's a way to have a really good offensive line, a really good defensive line. Um, the personnel is there. Everybody that I've talked to off a side of the team that knows Andrew Jackson, you can call him AJ, says that he's a really good guy technically and that you can find ways to get pass rush with him. Um, they have personnel there too. It's a big, big spring, I think, for a guy like Jordan Jefferson, but it's not that they're going to try to play Mesador and Dante Stills inside too. Offensive line, we, we know the combinations and possibilities there. Uh, my, my answer to this question would be that on April 25th, they're going to pick up the newspaper. You're going to log in to read three things I think, three things I know, whatever, and you're going to say, man, they have a chance to be really good up front on both sides of the ball. And what a strength that would be for this team moving forward. 
Uh, Mud, Lobster Lock, what's been up with the lack of heart and passion on the court? Also, why did WVU's inbound plays suck so bad while other teams hit threes and dunks after a timeout for their inbound plays? Let's go to the second one. That, that, that bothers me a little bit. That's usually the sign of a good team. If they can come out and they can get points off of inbound plays, that's a good team. They're veteran. They're well coached. They pay attention. They make their reps count. You don't spend a ton of time on those things, but over the course of the year you do, and, and you figure out how to do it because you'll spend time on it, but there's so many situations. You know, end the clock, under the basket, sideline in. There's so many different things you can't dedicate large chunks of minutes every practice to them. So you do it cumulatively over the year, and you, you get good at it and you stay good at it, and maybe you don't have to worry so much about it. But when the time comes – flip a switch, and you go into what you know how to do. That is not West Virginia strength, and you're crazy if you don't think that it's not going to come up to play at some point in the postseason. How many times has West Virginia had a game or a half decided, sometimes the half deciding the game, on a possession at the end of regulation, end of a half, end of an overtime this year, and it hasn't worked out. Haven't gotten great shots. If you really think they're drawing up a let's spread everything out and let McBride shoot an 18-footer, that's probably not a great plan, right? Especially when a two-footer, it can work out too. Um so that, that's a curious thing. And, again, does that go back to some of the mental stuff we talked about, being mentally tough on defense? I think there's a correlation there, too. Like, if you can focus across the year about how to execute inbound plays, um, you're probably a good team. You probably have that mental wherewithal to succeed. I would probably disagree a little bit with you. I understand the premise. There are times that they lack heart and passion on the court. It's not a consistent strength for them. I don't think it's a consistent weakness. They've come back from, from deficits way too much for me to say they don't have heart and that they don't have passion. Um you don't win five games and you trail by 10 or more. Two when you trail by 19 in the second half if you don't have harder passion. You get blown out in those games. Um, that is not what this team does. One lopsided loss at Kansas, and it wasn't that bad. Everything else has been, I would say, to some degree winnable, and they've erased deficits in one games. That's okay with me. Um, why do they find those deficits so often? Is that a, a lack of consistent heart and passion? That's a good question. Um, can't explain that one except that, you know, I think Huggins will tell you that they're still kind of young. Uh, I'm not sure how accurate that can be or should be, but maybe guys just haven't grown up, even though they've been around for a long time. If you don't have it now, you may not have it soon enough. 83-89 grad, which approach would you recommend to a third-year coach to develop his football team? Keep your best players on the field for as many plays as you can to take advantage of their talent, or liberally use your, quote, next best players so that your, quote, best group remains fresher and the, quote, next best group develops quicker. So, again, what would you do? Would you concentrate the snaps into your best talent, or would you keep your best on there as long as you can but maintain how fresh they are by using subs? Interesting here is year three. By year three, you better have the best identified and developed so they can play more. Um, if this was year one, year two, I would feel differently. But year three, and especially with the way this roster looks now, they've had guys who played on all three of these teams, and if not, have played for – too significantly by the time this year is done that's to me easier to identify who your best is and i don't think west virginia has so many best that they have a best and next best um they would they, they would be one of your you know elite teams in the conference and maybe in the country if they had that many quote best players harvin answer that makes me think that you probably can't pour the snaps into one group because you still have some identifying development to do so i would pick the next one here uh, liberally use your next best so that your best remains fresh and your next best develops quicker. I don't think they have so many clear-cut bests that makes them an elite, dangerous, potent program offensively and defensively that they can just roll with them no matter what. I think they have a need for depth on both sides, you know, at the skill positions and in the trenches still, that you probably have an idea 
who your core best players are, but do you have bests at five offensive line positions, at five secondary positions, um, at four receiver positions, at three linebacker positions? No, you don't. Probably not. Um, so you probably have one or two or three or four, depending on how many people you need at those positions. You probably have enough to have a good group, but not bests across the board. So you're going to have to find ways to figure out who the others are, your next best, and probably roll them into, And then find a way to take your best off the field sometime and let a next best take a series or a couple series just so you're not wearing guys down. Uh, moving on. Uh, two more here, actually. Um, three more but two are from Jay Mole, 1989. What does Coach Brown do a play calling this year? Stick with what they did last year or change it up? I'm assuming you're meaning with the red zone stuff, um, that being that when they cross a certain point and they get down to the red zone, uh, Jared Parker takes over. I think that's probably going to be more toward what it was than Brown taking back over. They were better for much of the year in the red zone. Didn't get quite to the finish line that way, had some issues in big games and big moments toward the end of the year, but it still worked out pretty well. I would say if you ask me one or the other, I think they'll probably have that split. Um, perhaps Parker takes more control. Perhaps Brown has more say in what they call, but Parker calls it. We'll see. I'm sure it'll be asked and confused many times during the season. Uh, next question from him. Also, what are the incoming basketball recruits bring to the table? Can they help defensively? Do they have a shot at playing time? Uh, I would be surprised if either one of the freshmen play very much very often next season. Seth Wilson, 6'1", 185 combo guard. Kobe Johnson, 6'3", 190 point guard. Uh, look, where's the guy getting on the floor next year in the backcourt? Um, if Sherman comes back, you have probably everybody back. I think I think a lot of people would anticipate McBride being back next season at this point. Um, unlikely to me you lose McBride and Sherman. One or the other, maybe. Unlikely you lose both. Now, Jordan McCabe, Kedrian Johnson, I just see them, I, I don't see them leaving. So you got a number of guys ahead of them. Matthews and Bridges are are kind of perimeter forwards. It just wears a guard playing. So I don't see a lot of opportunities for them. Johnson seems like he maybe has the, the, the physical tools to be a good defensive player. Wilson probably has maybe the the wiring to be like a, a good defensive guy in the backcourt, but I would not expect them to be Javon Carter or even Tavon Myers on defense <laughs> the first the first year in the program, given time. Um, not a great answer, but I just I wouldn't even really worry about it yet because you probably don't don't have time for them on the floor. And again, if you're expecting them to be better than the guys who've been here for many, many years on defense, probably setting yourself up for failure there too. Um Again, not they're not they're not good defensive players, but they're probably not accustomed to playing the best player on the other team in high school. And the leap is so dramatic here; it's very hard for freshmen to be good, especially on the ball uh, in college basketball. If you're a shot blocker or you're like a 260-pound post guy, you can hang in there. You can block some shots. You can contest. You can get defensive rebounds. Guard is just different. It's a it's a tough expectation. Final question: Dub V got him. Hug said he's not excited for anything when asked about going to Kansas City. Our head coach saying he isn't excited about playing for our chance at a conference championship is supposed to do what for our fans exactly? Uh, that's one question. Not much. Um, here's the question, though. Do you think the seeds of the injury bug are already taking root to lay the groundwork for justification should these two tournaments not go our way? I'd say the general board expectation level is crazy low considering we're dealing with a top-10 team in March where a top-10 team of people are saying... They wouldn't be shocked with the first week and exit. That's lunacy. Uh, 
interesting there too. So do we think that Huggins is preemptively planting an excuse for why the team isn't good? You know, injured, long season, oh, McCabe's hurt, oh, McBride's hurt, oh, Taz is growing, it's, you know, it's hard, blah, blah, blah. That sounds maybe like the 2016 team that we talked about. As tough as I thought they were, and they, they'd whoop you in a fight, they really lollygagged before the Stephen F. Austin game and got run off the floor, and Huggins told us, told you it was going to happen. Didn't practice. Didn't take it seriously. I told them they're going to lose. They did, right? Have we seen something similar here? I haven't heard much much of that from Huggins. I, listen, I've never listened to his radio show. I, I cannot think of a time I listened to his radio show. So I didn't hear that. Apparently, he said that on there and wasn't very happy about some things and some people on the team. Didn't name it or wouldn't go into detail, but evidently, it was apparent he's not jazzed about this. It, it could just be him conducting a chemistry experiment right now, too. He could be trying something here to see if his, his players respond. Here's the question that we'll end with. Hugs walks into Shane Lyons' office to break down the season in May. What are the dynamics there? Is Hugs truly untouchable, bigger than life? Or is it clear Shane is the boss who writes the checks for Hugs? I've always wondered how this relationship works between a Hall of Fame coach in their twilight and younger ADs. Mmm. It's um it's a massive, massive question. And there's no there's no answer that fits in the constraints of this media right here, right? I'm podcasting. I'm working on a clock. I don't want to talk for too long. And it probably deserves more serious care than this. But let's work with what we have. Um, Huggins has an expiring contract coming up here. Um, it's not this year, but he also has a lifetime contract. If, he's t- if he says, Shane, I want to coach again next year, he's going to be able to coach again next year. I don't think that's an issue. Um, Huggins has earned that. I don't think that's a question. But what if this happens like eight or nine more times and the team is you know at and maybe below this level, maybe once or twice slightly above? Huh. That's what's interesting. I think there won't be a problem. I think that Huggins is way too smart and understands how it goes for coaches. Um He's talked before that he thinks his dad retired too young, um, accomplished a lot, and then just, you know, retired and young for a coach, right? Could have kept coaching, could have had a lot of years. Um, but I'm sure that Huggins has people that he knows and admires in the industry who probably stayed on too long. And, and not even for, like, the wins and losses and what it does to your, your legacy and all that stuff, which I don't think really matters a whole lot to Huggins, but, like, quality of life, you know, if, if – if the sport is changing so much and it does appear that it bothers him, I think that that abbreviates the time you might think he might spend on the sideline. If this continues to amplify in a way that favors players and it makes it hard for coaches to develop programs and keep teams together, Huggins has vacation houses, right? Like what's he, what's he going to do this for? Why is he going to bang his head into a wall? He's going to go to the cabin. He's going to go to the condo. Um, why? Like, just I've had a great career. Uh, I've done all I can for West Virginia. I wanted to win the big one, or I did win the big one, right? Um, I, I think that his quality of life, and like, I think he wants to do what he can for the sport. I don't think he wants the sport to do what it may do to him and what he thinks of the game. I think he likes the sport, loves the sport, and the career and the life so much that I don't think he wants to fight it when it's not going to become what he's used to or what he wants it to be. So I think that's a dynamic to think about there. I think that's more of a, a dynamic than Huggins versus Lions. Um, when it comes to Lions, though, I'm sure that Lions would would listen to Huggins a lot 
And if there was a struggle, what can we do? How can we make this work? Realistically, are you going to get a better coach than Bob Huggins at West Virginia? I don't know how realistic, realistic that is. I do think this, though. I think that Shane Lyons has a bright profile in the business. You look at the different committees he's chaired and the different assignments he's been given and how well they performed and some of the reviews that have come out about him. Um, he hired Neil Brown. And his hiring so far has been good, I think, without great results, but also without great time to produce the results. Hiring Bob Huggins' replacement is kind of the thing that you hire an AD to do. And I'm sure he's curious about that. I would wonder when he's not thinking about that. I'm not saying he's thinking about that when they lose the game to Netter, excuse me, to, uh, to Baylor. Um, but I would think that like in May of a season, sure, he's thinking about that. You know, if and when do I do this? It's a great question that we do not have an answer to because neither one of them is going to bring it up publicly, right? And they're not going to show their hands. I think Huggins at some point would maybe talk about the twilight of him because he's just that type of person, doesn't look forward or backward so much. But like, I also think he's a realistic person too. And I think that he's soured on some of the stuff in college basketball that may make a man think, what am I doing? Is this worth it? That's the dynamic. I don't think it's Huggins versus Lions. <clears throat> I don't think it's head coach, Hall of Fame resume, um, younger aspirational athletic director. I don't think that's a conflict you have to worry about. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think they like each other. They get along, and, and one does a lot for the other, certainly, and that's something you want to continue for as long as you can. But I think that Huggins versus the, the establishment of college basketball and the future of college basketball, I think that's one to watch there. And I think we're out of time. We'll wrap it up here. Um, all the questions. Um, well, actually, you know what? One more snuck in here. Uh, given who's likely coming back for the basketball season, preseason ranking for 21-22. Look, if they get Osaboyan and Sherman back, they're a preseason top 10 team. No doubt about that. No, I think that's a surprise. But that's all the questions. Um, plenty coming up on the site. Will Aldrich has your viewer's guy for the Big 12 tournament coming up. He'll be with me on a podcast previewing the Big 12 tournament tomorrow. Um, plenty with Chris, even though he's on vacation, he's plugged in a bunch of stories already. I'll have college basketball. We'll have some college baseball, college football, spring football. Should have an announcement soon on when that'll begin. Have some stories from meeting with the coaches last week. Um, like I said, a lot going on. Press F5 and let me know what's your favorite Paramount Plus feature so far. Got to get one Paramount Plus in, right? That's all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I am Mike Cassazza.